1 Timothy chapter three, and I'll read one verse, verse 16. I've been preaching the past few services on uh, some of the controversy about Christmas, dealing with some things, and today, uh, staying in that same train of thought, I'm going to uh, deal with just a couple of words out of this one verse that I think will give meaning to the day and meaning to why we gather together. We are looking so forward to not only today what God has, but then tonight with the Christmas play. I want to thank the cast, Ron Buckle, everyone that's working so diligently on that. What a blessing it is uh, to be able to have that special presentation uh, tonight at 7.30 as well. So when you gather with your family today, and it is great, I just have to say this, I see, uh, well I know, I don't want to embarrass them, the shoemakers, they've got a whole pew, their family filled up a pew today. Isn't that great? And it's great to see your family in from out of town and other places. And I want you to know, if you've come with your family today, how much they appreciate your presence being here with them. That's the greatest gift that you could ever give to anyone is being in the house of the Lord with your family. Let's look in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Two words in the 16th chapter I call your attention to, without controversy. Without controversy. We've been dealing with some of the attitude of people that are controversial when it comes to Christmas, but I think there's some things in the word of God that's just non-negotiable. You can't change it. It is what God meant for it to be. And this, this day, this is one of those events that I think that we can rejoice in the fact there's no controversy to us that we know he came. Your very calendar marks the fact that he came. I know with the onslaught of unbelievers throughout the world, they are now trying to say, oh no, Really, the calendar should be BCE, before common era, instead of before Christ. But the truth of the matter is, what marked the point in time to change from before common era to AD? What, what marked that? What event did that? It's none other than the birth of Christ himself. It's not only true, and by the Bible alone, by biblical account, it's true. We need nothing else but the Bible. But even historically, it's true that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. The time came, the fullness of time, when God sent his son Jesus into this world and Christ came to this world. And it's marked by the very fact that this day is what separated time and our calendars marked by his birth. So we know that he did come. But we also not only know that he came, but I think that a lot of people ask the question, where did he come from? Well, that's an interesting question. You know, I think, uh, 
I think children make some of the greatest statements. It's great to have our children's church up with us today in worship with their family. And they do such a tremendous job working with the children downstairs. But uh, every week they're meeting while we're meeting here in worship, they're meeting in worship as well. And so many of them have now grown to be Christian Christian workers, preachers, singers in ministry as adults now because of the impact on them as children. But you know, even though they're children, children can teach us a lot. They can teach us a lot about purity and honesty. Uh, They're so sincere. And uh, if you can't deal with the honesty, uh, then you probably had better not be in the room when they open their gifts. (laughs) Because they'll be very honest about it. Bill Adler many years ago, right, he wrote a book entitled Letters from Children to Pastors. And it was different letters that pastors had submitted to him about what children had to say. An 11-year-old named Ralph said, Pastor, I really enjoyed the sermon on Sunday, especially when it was finished. (laughs) Ten-year-old Anthony wrote, said, Dear Pastor, I would like you to marry me and my girlfriend when we get married someday. P.S., I'll let you know when I find a girlfriend. (laughs) Nine-year-old Susan said, Dear Pastor, please pray for my teacher. She's so sick, and if you would say a prayer, she would get better and come back to school. P.S., the other kids in my class said, I shouldn't write this letter to you. (laughs) We'll leave that where it's at. But a pastor one day was sitting in his vehicle, and in the middle of a long journey at Christmas time, They were going to see their relatives and it was late, late night, two, three o'clock in the morning. Everybody else in the van was asleep and he didn't realize that his daughter was awake. And his daughter, he heard the voice and said, Daddy, can I ask you a question? And he said, sure, you can ask me anything. And the child said, where was I before I was born? Boy, Be careful what you say when you say, ask me anything. And some of you even as adults probably wonder about that. Where were you before you were born? Can I answer the question for you? Nowhere. See, there was a time when you did not exist and I did not exist. But at conception, life begins. And that's where life started with us. And as we are conceived, We are brought forth and conceived in the image of God and we have not only body, but soul and spirit. There was a time when you were not, but there'll never be a time when you won't be again. A million years from now, a billion years from now, mathematically as far out as you can go in your mind, there'll never be a time when you don't exist again. But we can't say that as of Christ because he existed before his birth. In fact, he told us the very place that he came from. He said in John chapter six and verse 38, he said, I am come down from heaven. He is the word made flesh. He is eternal. Back in the channels of time, before there was ever an earth as we know it today, before we realized the beauty of this world, before any of the creation had come about, he was eternally existent. 
preeminent in power, equal in glory to God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But this day is what separates the fact that the eternal God was made flesh and dwelt among us. He came down from heaven. That's why heaven had to come down when he was born and the angels appeared because he came from above to this earth below so that we can have hope to go to him one day as well. You say, well, why did he come? I think to answer the question why he came, we probably have to listen to his words to maybe three or four reasons why he did not come. There's a lot of people that say Jesus came for a particular reason, but they really, they don't stop to think about what they're saying when they mention it. I jotted down three or four things. First of all, he did not come to call righteous. That's what he said in Luke 5, 30, 32. I come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, if you're here today and you're without the Lord, but you feel like you're righteous enough to go to heaven, we can't help you because you don't think you need help. And the hardest thing I face as a minister of the gospel, not only pastoring this church, but evangelizing across the country, the hardest thing I face is getting people to see their righteousness will not save them. I'm glad you're a good person. I'm glad you do good things. I'm glad you've got a good heart. I'm glad you go to church. I'm glad you may even pray and occasionally you may read your Bible, but all of our righteousness cannot save save us until we see ourselves as unworthy and unrighteousness, unrighteous and a sinner that needs to be saved by the grace of God will never ask the Lord Jesus Christ to come into our life and change us. He said, I came not to call the righteous. Here's something that a lot of people have a hard time with. Today, Christianity is on the decrease and I'm beginning to understand why it's on the decline. I'm afraid that no longer do we even believe what we believe. We say it, but our life proves otherwise. Everything is more precious than the Lord Jesus Christ. We put everything in front of the Lord, but all of this, it'll, it'll pass away. It'll be gone. See, you can have time with your family at Christmas, but if you put the time with your family at Christmas above the Christ of Christmas, you miss the whole meaning of Christmas because there'll be a time when the, your family won't all be here one by one. You'll leave this world and death will come. But if your family knows Christ, then you'll be together forever in heaven. That's the hope that we have. But yet people say, I don't want anything to do with the church because Jesus this Christ of Christmas, he came to judge the world and to condemn the world. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says just the opposite in John 12, 47. Again, in John 3, 17, he come not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The condemnation doesn't come from Christ. The condemnation comes from us. For this is the condemnation that we believe not on the name of the only begotten of the Father. Let's get this right. The Lord didn't come to send people to hell. The Lord came to save people from hell. You say, well then how do people wind up in that terrible place called hell? 
people send themselves to hell because they refuse to repent and trust the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior and look to him for salvation. One day he will be our judge, but he didn't come to this world as a babe in the manger to judge. They wanted that to happen. They wanted him to come. They wanted him to wipe out the Roman Empire. They wanted him to stand with power and might and utterly destroy the enemy that they were under bondage to. But that's not why he came. He didn't come to condemn. He didn't come to judge. Also, he didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets. That's what the Bible says in Matthew 5, 17. From the words of Christ, he came not. He came not to destroy the law. He came not to destroy the prophets. The prophets' words were pure. The prophets were the one that prophesied of his birth in Bethlehem, his sinless life, the death that he would die. He didn't come for that reason, to do away with it. He came to fulfill it. He came to do what you and I could not do because the law itself is our schoolmaster, not to save us, but to teach us that we need to be saved. Another thing, he did not come to be served. He said, I came not to, minister, to be ministered unto, but to minister. He didn't come for people to wait on him, to serve him. He came to serve others. And that's really what our example is as well today on Christmas. It's about serving others. I mentioned several things already and there's other things in your bulletin today that people have done out of the goodness of their heart to serve others. You'll never go wrong by serving others because that's the greatest example of Christ to a world that is lost, our service to others. That's why this church is so involved in outreach service to others. I know this year through, uh, through evangelistic outreach, I'm sure we're well into record numbers of people that we were able to help this year because of individuals that allow us to be a funnel to serve others, people that need help, people that wouldn't be able to get along any other way. Jesus said, that's what we're to do. We're not to wait on the world to serve us. We're to reach out and try to see what we can do to be a service to them. And God will honor you for that. Well then, preacher, why did he come? Let me just give you two or three things real quick. First of all, he came because he was sent. He was sent. He was a man on a mission. He was sent from the Father to us. Sent divinely, miraculously, but he was sent. Never a time in this world have we seen how much confusion there are uh, there is over the fact that Jesus was sent with a purpose. Amen. He said, when you see me, you see the Father. Somewhere in ages past, before this world was ever laid on its foundation, there was a decision made in the eternals by the heavenly Father, by the Spirit, and by Jesus, the triune God, the three that are one. And the agreement was this, in the eventuality of sin, that God would send his son, and his son would give his life, 
and the same Jesus born in a manger would die on a cross. The same Jesus that was manifest in the flesh that I read to you about. No controversy about this. It's not up for argument. It is just a fact from Bible. Jesus, God manifest in the flesh. That same Jesus would die on a cross after he performed miracles. That same Jesus that had been seen by angels, worshiped by individuals. That same Jesus would be placed in a tomb. But hallelujah, he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. And that same Jesus, he once again went back to heaven. And that same Jesus is coming again. I probably, among other things, one of my weaknesses is, is from time to time, I, uh, I read and listen to the news probably a little bit too much. And uh, I happen to have an article that I read this week. It crossed my, my desk and I had the computer on. I thought, I'm gonna look at that. And it said, why I won't go to church on Christmas. So I thought, I gotta read this. I opened it up. It was an individual that had been raised in a Bible preaching church by their admission. They had been taught what was right. They, they had been brought up in a family that their parents were believers, their grandparents were believers. And even the individual could remember one of their great grandparents was a believer. But they said in that particular church, said that church taught that Jesus not only came, I don't have a problem with that, but that church taught that Jesus was crucified and rose from the grave and that church taught that there would be a rapture. And the individual said, that traumatized me. I now have issues in my life because they taught something like that. Of all things, I read the article. I ran into one of the folks that I watched grow up in this church. And I asked them, hey, why don't you come to church Sunday? And they said, Cal, I like you. Said, but you all have traumatized me. I am absolutely conflicted. And I said, I know the answer for that. They said, really? I said, yeah, get right with God and you don't have no worries. See, we're not trying to traumatize you by telling you that Jesus is coming. In a moment of time, when you think not, that same Jesus that came to this earth the first time is coming back again. And you don't have to be traumatized. I can go home today and say, Jesus, because of the grace of God and the power of your blood and the salvation that you make available, I don't have to worry if you come back at this moment. I can be right with you and ready with you. The reason that you're traumatized is because you are condemning yourself. You are convicting yourself by refusing to come to Christ. He was sent. Not only did he come because he was sent, but he came because we are sinners. And if you don't see yourself as a sinner, you can never see yourself as saved. It takes the fact 
that you have to realize we've all sinned. And by the way, just because you get saved doesn't mean that you get released from the temptation of sin. Sin is there. Sin is a terrible thing. Sin, in, it enslaves us. It traps us. It puts us in bondage. You want to know why that you can't change certain things in your life that you hate, that you know is wrong, that you would rather not do? Do you know why you can't overcome that? Because sin is a snare. And once it has you, it holds on to you. And it doesn't want to turn loose of you. And sin is saying, I'm going to destroy you no matter what. That's what the devil wants to make you think. You're like that forever. It can't change. Sin is what separates us from God. Sin is what spoils mankind. It's a terrible thing to see what sin has done to this world. Get it right. It's not God's fault that there's wars and hunger and pain and sickness and death. That's not God's fault. Well, whose fault is it? Sin. It's sin's fault. And we are trapped by our sin and we can't get out of our sin. That'd be a terrible thing if I had to leave it there this morning. But let me tell you, he not only came because he was sinned, and he not only came because we are sinners, but he came that we might be saved. See, as long as you have the mentality that you have what it takes inside of you to save yourself, you'll never get the peace that the angels shouted about on the hills of Bethlehem. You'll never find the goodwill. We'll never find peace as long as we fail to see it takes a savior to find it. It's a terrible thing to live at war in your conscience, in your mind. It's a terrible thing to live at strife with everything that you do. This whole time of Christmas for some individuals is nothing more than struggle and strife, argument and pain. The greatest gift that was ever given wasn't left under a tree. The greatest gift hung on a tree. And he died. that we might be saved. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. You need a savior. I need a savior. We've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. But the Lord hath laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity or sin of us all. He died.
for our sin. And today, he'll forgive you of your sin. Does he still forgive of sin? I'm a living testimony. Yes, he does. And you that are Christians, you're a living testimony. Yes, he does. I'm not doing that again. I'm gonna get me a big cat. <laughs> but I would do all those things with you. And I got to thinking that one day we get to go to heaven together. Praise God. Lord. Hallelujah. And if you know Jesus, you can go with us. It's going to be great. It's going to be so wonderful. I love all of you. I pray you have a Merry Christmas. I've already had a great Christmas. And it's just going to get better this year. Merry Christmas. I love you. Merry Christmas. God's been good to all of us, hasn't he? I will say this uh, before we let you go. Uh, one thing that Candy and I learned, do you know what Tone Soap is? How many of you know the brand Tone Soap? Any of you remember that? If you have that and you have rats, get it out of your house. They love Tone Soap better than anything else that you've got. And uh, that's the truth. <laughs> Amen. God's been good to us. He has blessed us beyond measure. He's given us each one of you. We thank you for coming out again. If we could have your help clearing off the platform, we'll see you tonight at 730. Merry Christmas. Oh.